Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, our summer series continues as we look back over some of our favourite episodes of 2023. This morning, we are revisiting our chat with kickboxing champion and larger-than-life character Stan the Man Longanides. Enjoy. Stan Longanides was a computer programmer from Altona who chased his dream to become an eight-time kickboxing champion in four different styles and the face of the sport in this country. Stan the Man, as he became known, was the the first martial artist inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame in a career chock full of knocking down doors. And such was his fame. He's dined with movie stars, been an actor himself, and was considered by iconic promoter Don King as a potential opponent for Iron Mike Tyson. Stan, welcome. Great to have you on. Sam, great to be here. Well, great introduction. Thank you very much for that. You said something once that jumped out at me, actually. When you were running along Grieve Parade in Altona North at 4am as a young fella, you didn't want to be a kickboxer. You wanted to be the kickboxer. Yeah, that was that was like my mantra at the time, if you can, if I can put it that way. Um, yeah, I wanted to believe that uh, those trucks, when they were bipping their horns, they knew who they were watching, and they, they knew who they were watching develop. Um, but it's like one of those things we say: you got to fake it till you make it. So yeah. I, you know, I wanted to believe that they were honking the horns because they were looking at a future champ. And you know, to believe in something, you know, you've got to really, really believe it with all your heart. And, uh, and I believe that if you believe in yourself, you can achieve anything if you want it bad enough. Because the sport was, you know, well and truly off-Broadway in the early to mid-80s, wasn't it, in this country? Well, it was in the shadows. I yeah. mean, it was one of those sports that didn't have a profile, and we needed a public figure that could change that. I mean, it was like sports like kickboxing. was like bodybuilding. It was like one of those sports where it had a lot of passion, a lot of people behind it, but there was no corporate sponsorship. There's no real reward to have success in it. So when there's no financial reward, it's, it doesn't really... Um, um, inspire or motivate people to go down that way. But I mean, at the end, that was a new opportunity, a new sport for me. And I felt I had the opportunity to be a real catalyst where maybe I could create a path and for others to follow. June 2023. So as we sit here right now, what, what are you doing now? Are you still on the speaking circuit, Stan? Or what's, yeah, look, what's life look like at the moment? Yeah, in the last few years, with the turn of events, with uh, you know um, the lockdowns and everything like that, unfortunately, I had a company called Stan the Man Group, which we did a lot of motivation motivational mentoring. I had a lot of programs and, and contracts with corporate companies, with prisons, with sporting clubs. It was really thriving and doing well. When we had the lockdowns and everything closed down, unfortunately, my health deteriorated at the same time. So, you know, in the last few years, I've, I've endured some challenges with my health. Stage three uh, bowel cancer, very mm. severe, very lucky to get through that, which is something I'd like to also acknowledge and mention tonight for people's awareness to get checked out. I also have a condition with my lungs and my heart, very strict medication. Um, you know, if I miss a, a tablet, I'm susceptible for a stroke or a heart attack. So, look, at the end of the day, I, I'm one of these guys that I believe we're all ticking time bombs. You don't know when your time's up, so, you know, you make the most of each day. But uh, I'm also aware that I've had to slow down. Um, we are now at the 10-year stage of uh, being the founder with my younger brother, George Longanides. We've opened up the Stand the Man Fitness Academy, which is now our 10th year. But you know, my brother runs the whole show, basically. I've sort of slowed down again because of my health 
issues. Mm. I try to make my presence felt. I, I always have a passion to say something motivational, you know, to inspire young people. That's my passion more than anything. So that's still running. Um, but again, on the circuit, I've really slowed down. I get calls quite often from people saying, listen, Stan, I heard you're not doing too well, but is it possible to get you out? Because everyone enjoys and loves the passion that I have with my message. Well, we appreciate you coming in today. And I can still see the spark in your eyes. I can yeah. I can see the passion there. So, you know, we, with your talks and your addresses to sporting groups, corporates, schools, whatever it was, you know, what, what underpinned it? Was it because everyone starts with a dream, don't they? Or, or a vision or a dream seed, as I think you called it. Where, yeah. where did your fuel come from? Where did your motivation come from? Uh, again, I loved the sport, you know, and when you make a decision, you've got to love what you do. I loved the sport. I wanted to promote the sport. I wanted my sport to get the recognition I felt it deserved. One of those great stories I'd like to share with you is as when I was a computer programmer, um, uh, at the time, you may recall, and probably still today, the Danaher family were big in yeah. washing windows, like I had big contracts all over the place with corporate companies. I used to work for a company called RJ Gilbertson's. I uh, worked together with Don Smallgoods. I used to work in the offices of computer programmer. Cleaning the windows back then was Terry Danaher, and we developed a relationship. This is back in 1987, 88, I think it was, maybe 1988. Uh, anyway, having said that, uh, an opportunity came for me where I was offered an opportunity to go to America uh, to the most famous kickboxing stable in the world called Benny's Jet Center. So when I decided to quit my job and go through a court case with my family to try to justify what my reasons were, <laughs> and, and because, uh, let me tell you this much, uh, because I worked for Don Smallwoods, I got a great package uh, with company car, good, good, a good uh, salary, but also part of the package was that I'd get in my pay packet, I'd get a $200 credit of uh, where I could buy anything from the front shop, you know, like all the, all the things that we sold. Wow. Of course, my father loved that. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the biggest case for me not to give up my job. You know, like I told my dad, I'm going to chase my dream. My dad said, what sport? I go, dad, I love this sport. I want to make it famous. But this sport is not famous. It has, makes no money. What about my sausages? What, yeah, what's your motivation for this? And that's what it's all about. It, at the end of the day, I had a dream. And I wanted to get out of my comfort zone. I, uh, it was a big challenge for me to get out of my comfort zone and go to the unknown, yeah. to leave my home. I'm the sort of guy, when people get to hear my story, my testimony, I was the sort of kid that when I went on school camps for four days, I'd be home after two because I was homesick. <laughs> I'm just saying, so it was a big challenge for me to get out of my comfort zone. But, but some say, just coming back to the, what fueled your fire, I mean, some say adversity makes a champion as much as a door opening. So do you have to have a bit of a chip on your shoulder for success or do you need a setback or do you need someone to tell you you can't do that? Yeah, well, that's what happened to me too. You know, you know, Stan's pretty good for a kickboxer, but, you know, in America, they're big boys. They're, you know, Stan's very small for heavyweight. All the pessimism kicked in, you know, all the reasons why I couldn't do it. And that's what made it more important for me to, to mm. achieve it. Sometimes when people tell you you can't do something, it sort of sparks you up. But again, at the end of the day, you know, it's about each other, each person's spirit. How bad do you want it? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up? And I was prepared to do that, get out of my comfort zone, go to the unknown. And all I had was faith. You know, I live on faith and we can elaborate more as I go on. But all at the end, at the end of the day, it was about faith and believing in myself and prepared to go through a suffering that I was prepared to go through. Simple as that. So an umbrella view of it before we take our first break. Now, yours was a career. When you boil it all down, you went from Altona North to 
Madison Square Garden. He went from the west of Melbourne to Hollywood. More than 100 fights, 88 wins, 8 kickboxing world titles. He was the first Australian to claim a world title belt in 1990. The first Westerner to, to win a, a Muay Thai title in 96. So as we sit here now, does it feel like, a, how do you reflect on it all now at the age of 57? Is it an easy question for you to answer? Does it feel like almost another time, another world, or does it come to hand and come to mind vividly? Yeah, surreal in many ways to uh, to achieve those points that you made, but more importantly, I believe I haven't changed a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm the same, still the same kid from the Western suburbs, uh, traveling to all those points and, and locations that you mentioned. Uh, my moccasins came with me everywhere I went. <laughs> I'm just saying, just to remind me where I come from, you know what I mean? Just to remind me where I come from. So, you know, at the end of the day, humility is very important. For me, character, I mean, that's why, again, 22 years of combat sport, you know, 20 years of motivational speaking, I like to simplify, you know, with a little energy that I have left with my health, if I could sort of give a simplified version of what I believe is the most important aspects of one's personal development, that's what I like to share. So for those listening this morning that might be of a, of a younger generation, and for those who have a dream or have a vision, of what they want to be and what they want to become, what would your main piece of advice be to them this morning, Stan? Well, at the end of the day, for me, passion is the number one barometer. Yep. Without passion, then you are content to be mediocre. You know, with me and what I teach today and the foundation and the the the, the teachings that we do at the Stan the Man Fitness Academy is about, you know, developing champion people with a champion's attitude. For me, it's not about talent. Talent can help get you there, but to keep you there, you need good character. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, mm. I'm a Collingwood supporter, you know what I mean? But when, you know, even with the goey, with some of those incidences recently, it really made me want to wonder, you know, what do you want? How bad do you want this? I mean, you got a two-week break, you want to go to Bali? I'm just saying, there's a lot of things like that you've got to be willing to give up to go up. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, what are you prepared to sacrifice? That's what it's all about. And we'll touch on something about mm. sacrifice when we talk about the big fight. What are you going to give up to go up? Well, we're off the mark here on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. We're going to go back to the start of Stan Longaniti's amazing journey right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with Australian kickboxing legend, Stan the Man Longaniti. So Stan, you're born in Melbourne to Greek parents. You're raised in Altona in the 70s and 80s. What stands out from your childhood? Very supportive family? Very supportive family, yeah. Definitely a father that worked hard to provide for me and my siblings, a a great mother. Uh, Look, I'm a man of faith for what it's worth. You know, like I I was brought up by a mother that taught me great values, values that I actually used in my motivational speaking for many years. You know, for example, you might say, give me an example. Well, my mum taught me, think before you speak. (laughs) You've got nothing nice to say, then don't speak at all. You know, don't do to other girls that you wouldn't want done to your sister. I'm just saying these are great values that really affected me me growing up. I mean, but the most important thing my mum ever taught me, I believe, is she said to me, you're going to make a lot of friends, son, but I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to make Jesus your best friend. Now, for what it's worth, my mum taught me what she taught me, what she thought was the best thing for me at the time. But I'm grateful. So today as a man of faith, the first thing I always do, I thank God for blessing me with wonderful parents. Put things in perspective. I'm so grateful to have great parents 
uh, who are no longer with me. So again, it's part of my belief system, and that's a very important topic in one's personal development and growth. My belief system is that I believe one day I will see my parents again. That's the hope that I have with my belief system, mm. and that's why I think it's important. You know, I don't want I share messages today with people, and I kind of encourage people saying, "Listen, it's all about your personal growth and journey." But hey, I don't want you to turn thirty, forty, or fifty, and you haven't thought about. You know, what's your philosophy about life? When you have a bit more life experience, you get to experience a lot of things. We get to see that life's a journey with different chapters. Chapters that there's a beginning and an end. My career was a chapter with a beginning and an end. Business partnerships, there's a beginning and an end. Marriages, there's a beginning and an end. Life, Mm. there's a beginning and an end. So my question is, what is it one believes? What's your belief system? Hey, don't turn 30, 40, 50 years of age and have no belief system at all because then you just live a shallow life with no substance. One day you're going to die. We're going to bury you. And one thing's for certain, the worms are going to eat you. But if you have some kind of hope in something, no, but that's, yeah. hey, there's nothing more important than that topic. I'm just saying some people, they brush it off. And I understand some people brush it off. Ah, you know, don't give me this God, you know, because there's so much hypocrisy. Hey, if, what if there is a God? You're turning your back on God because of man, because of hypocrites? Hey, you haven't looked into it? Have you looked into it? Have you seek? The word says, mm. seek and you shall find. Hey, at the end of the day, it's about seeking so you can find the comfort. It's, look, for me personally, I'm 50. I'll be 58 next week, actually, June 25th. Oh. I think I turned uh, I think I turned 58. Yeah, it's 58. So, happy early birthday. Uh, happy birthday. Hey, so for me, it's a privilege. Don't take it for granted. Life is precious. Every night, Sam, when you go to sleep, you don't even know if you're going to wake up in the morning. Mm. So I encourage people, when you wake up in the morning, who do you thank for that blessing? I'm just saying, I think it's an important part of one's character to develop and grow and know who you thank for your blessings. Don't take for granted. Uh, All I'm saying is that I've come to know something that it's really hard for me to live without. You know, for me, I don't know, if you love your parents like I love my parents, Sam, when I lost my parents, I didn't want to live anymore. That's how hard it was for me. And I had a mother that was so special. There was 2,000 people at a funeral. 2,000 people hugging me, saying what a wonderful mum I had. And it didn't cut it for me. It was nice to hear, but it still didn't fill that void. And again, that's why I believe in a supernatural God, because that supernatural Holy Spirit comforted me in a way that's hard to explain. But that's why when I talk to people, and I talk to young people in particular, and then I talk about different topics that inspire them, motivate them, empower them, but then I talk about something that's really, really intimate, where I say, listen, if I was your father, there's nothing more important than this topic. Because one day we're going to have a lot of challenges, Sam, and there's no greater comforter than the one that I know. Well said. Well said. As far as sport goes, as a young fellow, though, soccer was your first love, wasn't it? It was. I was a good soccer player. I used to play for Juventus. And, of course, uh, the Greek community wasn't too happy when I was scoring goals for Juventus <laughs> against Greek teams. So where were they based out of? Brunswick. Brunswick. Yeah. So there was an old Italian man in the neighbourhood, wasn't there, who you formed a special bond with? Mr. Lavorato. Now, he was wheelchair band, I think, but he actually... Transported you from Altona to Brunswick to That's train right. and to play. And when you scored, what I did scored you do? I goals for him. I would run to the crowd and score goals for him. And he would be like a father figure for me. It was amazing. So when his time came up and he left us, I kind of lost that passion for, yeah. for the football. So, so he's, what he saw in you, did that fuel you in a way? Like that was your motivation. That was your fuel. And because he never, he never had a son that was playing football, the sport that he loved, that also fueled me because I wanted to make him happy. 
So Mr. Lavarato sadly passes away. You lose your passion for soccer, for football. Yeah. How did martial arts enter your world? Now, was it a nightclub as a young yeah. fella? True story. True story. Back in a nightclub in Footscray, back in the day, it was called Bunnies or Il Fontinos before that. Right. Uh, I happened to see a, a brawl take place, and I, I hate violence. I don't like confrontations. I'm not a violent person. And I say that even today after a career that I've had. Um, I saw five, six guys really give a guy a hard time bullying some guy and I thought it was a movie clip I thought literally it was like uh, action and I thought someone was going to say cut at the end of it because this one guy cleaned them all up like it was a movie set and once I saw what I saw I said I got to know I want to meet this guy and I happened to meet him and his name was George Constance I want to honour him because he was my first instructor. And I think it's really important that who your first instructor is. And I'll give you an example of what yeah. I mean by that. You know, there's, there's movies and shows like that uh, Cobra Kai. And I'm giving you an example yeah. of how important the instructor is. Because he ran a karate school in Williamstown. That's or correct. Williamstown Hall, yeah. Yes. And he was a lawyer or a student to become a lawyer. A really good person. Hard to find back then. Mm. And I say hard to find back then because kickboxing was infiltrated with a lot of criminality. You know, every time you saw something on the news about kickbox, there was nothing great about winning a title. It was about hurting someone, harassing someone, or murdering someone. So we never had a good reputation. And that was part of also one of the many reasons why I wanted to show that you could be successful in a sport like this, but come from a beautiful background, you know? Okay, so you got down there. There, there was fame, was a. You met Bob Jones there too, didn't you, at the karate at Williamstown Hall, didn't you? Well, Bob Jones was part of. Bob Jones was running everything. Is that at the where time. you met him, though? Well, he, he, ca- he was yep. a, my my instructor was once a student of his. Right. You know? So fame was another old club on Swanston Street. Now, was this the venue for your first fight? Okay, that's right. I fought. My first fight was against John Damatopoulos. He was a hairdresser <laughs> <laughs> for many years. He had he had photos of that fight in his hairdresser. Well, you've been up a hairdresser. Yeah, but he was he always when I became famous after that, he'd have photos in his hairdressing salon right. saying I was Dan's first opponent. I yeah. love it. I love it. So so you. Uh, well, I mean, what was that like? Were you anxious going into your first one? Okay, I'll tell you the truth. It was a bit of politics back then because a lot of guys broke away from Bob Jones. Bob Jones was running the whole organization. Sure. A lot of people weren't happy with the franchise deal, etc. So he lost a lot of students. One of his students was my instructor. So when when one of his old students, student, is beating up on his guys, he didn't like it. So I fought that fight at fame. I won the fight, but it was a horrible fight. It oh. was a horrible fight. <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere. But you got to start somewhere. But Bob Jones grabbed the microphone, and when I was on the, on on the balcony with my friends and, and with this little trophy, and they're all sort of happy for me, <laughs> yeah. we overheard the comments by Bob Jones, and he made this comment saying, "Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to take this opportunity to apologise for the quality of that fight in the last fight. Let's hope the remaining fights tonight will be a better standard." Right. So he was taking a cheap shot on me, really. Because he wanted to give it to my, his former instructor, his former student. But you kicked on, pardon the pun. You kicked right on. So I, when I heard that, I had a look. Yeah. And a, who said that? And I looked at him. I said, one day you're going to eat those words, Mr. Uh, Bob Jones. And did he ever? He and went the full one. Ten years later, he said, kickboxing in Australia is stand the man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I want to take you to 1987. Okay. And in the week that the US won back the America's Cup, that yeah. was all going on over there. Here, there was a massive kickbox- kickboxing event organised. Three titles are on the line. And for one of them, they wanted an Aussie to fight an American. And that was Santiago Garza, wasn't it? That yeah. all took place in Perth. Perth. Yeah. And that man turned out to be you, though. So 12 rounds. First time with leg kicks, 
You took him down a couple of times, but it was a draw ultimately, wasn't it? It was. You're all amateurs at the time, yeah. but you caught the eye of someone. The most famous kickboxer at the time was Benny the Jet Urquidez. He brought a team of five Americans to come out here and fight against five Australians. His brother, um, Smiley, was the one that was the captain of the team. He came out here. When he saw me fight, he approached me after the fight. He said, Stan, I heard this was your first professional fight. What I've seen, I believe, has the making of a great champion. I'd like to invite you to the Jet Center. It kind of all started from there. He gave me all the paraphernalia and all the things that I needed. It was kind of ironic because six months before that, I never heard of uh, Benny the Jet. Somebody gave me a video on him, and I started watching this guy. And being a young man, a young man of faith, for what it's worth, and, it, and like, I saw this documentary about Benny the Jet fighting in Japan in front of 60,000 people. And in his change rooms before the fight, you see him lying down reading the Bible. And it was kind of ironic for someone young like me. And yeah. I said, wow, look at this. And it was kind of like a dot. The dots were kind of connecting. One thing led to another. And it was, in the end, not even surprising the way it unfolded for me to end up being one of his mentees down the track. Awesome. Yeah. Where we stand, the man Long and Eddie's on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. So breaking the news to mum and dad, holding the pads for Chuck Norris, and Stan's remarkable rise to fame is all up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with Sport Australia Hall of Fame member Stan Longaniti. So, Stan, you got your break here, right? An offer to live and train in the US, chase the dream in the ring. It would mean leaving everything behind, leaving your life behind here. What did all of that look like at the time? Yeah, um, again, nerves. I was concerned um, going to the unknown. What, what, you know, wasn't sure what to expect. But again, with a leap of faith, I, again, as a young man of faith, I, I was, uh, all I had was my belief system and I believed that it was going to be something positive was going to come out of this. I really believed that, that 20 years from now, we're going to be talking about what I'm about to achieve. That's how optimistic yeah. I was about the challenge. But at the same time, it was scary because, like I said, I've never left my comfort zone before. I used to train really hard in Melbourne, but at the end of the day when I used to come home, I'd say, Ma, Ma, come and give me a row here, Ma. <laughs> I had that love, you know, and I got brought up with love. And that's why I'm saying to you, that's one of the hardest things to give up when yeah. you chase your dream, you get out of your comfort zone, you go to a place that's unknown, you're not sure who to trust. There's a lot of aspects. And then when I finally got to the Jet Center, you know, the Jet Center was something different because that was the place, the mecca of kickboxing. If you got invited to the Jet Center, that means you got something to offer. So as you touched on, though, you, you started a career as a computer programmer for the parent company of Don Smallgoods. It's a stable job, a suit and tie, yeah. company car. You're going to be okay. So you touched on dad's reaction. What was mum's reaction when you told her that you were going to turn your back on all that and chase this uncertain path on the other yeah. side of the world? It was definitely a very difficult tablet for my parents to swallow, uh, you know, from one extreme to another. And again, it's not even a sport where, you know, you're playing golf or tennis. I mean, I'm, we're talking about a sport where I'm in the ring against some big gorillas. And I was very small for heavyweight. It was always mentioned in my fights. You know, Stan, the man, five foot ten. I gave up a lot of weight, a lot of height, a lot of things. But at the end of the day, again, it was the, when you love 
what you do and your dream is big enough for you to want to do whatever it takes to get there, then you've got to test the water. So this Jet Centre in Hollywood, uh, uh, am I right in saying Benny's own movie connection meant that there was always actors around the place? Yeah, definitely. And that was, again, a challenge in itself because once I started to have a victory here, a victory there, and the novelty was actually, at the time, Australia was the flavour of the month back then. You know, there was a lot of great movies. Crocodile Aussie Dundee. Movies, and, all that yeah. sort of stuff and the lethal weapons and et cetera. So my accent took me a long way, to be quite honest. I started teaching class, started developing a bit of a following. And when you get a bit of a following, then and because a lot of guys were coming in to train with us, Chuck Norris, like you said, Van Damme, a lot of Hollywood guys, <laughs> they'd always ask you to do a little cameo here and there. So I found that a big distraction because it could very easily distract my focus on why I'm there. What, you're suddenly in movies Well, before because you... you're doing a cameo for a movie with Don the Dragon Wilson, for example, and then you've got Roger Corman. Roger Corman's a director that apparently has never lost the money on any movie. And after we did the shorts, we call, or the highlights, yep. or whatever they call it, at, at the end of the day, Roger Corman called me in and he said to me, listen, mate, I heard you're a kickboxer, but he goes, once you get rid of and get that over and done with, I really believe you. the camera likes you. You've got some future in this industry. What, what, hang on. What about what about a bit of I Pity the Fool? Mr. T was in there as well, wasn't he? Well, Mr. T was always hanging around in the background <laughs> somewhere. <What? laughs> uh, so, again, it was a distraction. But but not long after that, I read an American martial arts magazine and your photo was in there and there was a caption, could Stan be Australia's first world champion? So you never, even with all of this... You didn't let it overwhelm you, did you? And you, you peeled off 18 consecutive wins. That's right. On your way to your first world title. Yeah. That was Anthony Elmore. Yeah. So you, you didn't let all of that infiltrate your life. Well, again, focus. And there's going to be distractions. There's going to be some temptations, a lot of temptations. And when you have success, it's hard to, hard to stay grounded and humble. You know, that's why, I, again, I honour my mother because the first time I saw myself on the news – you know, I went to visit my parents and it was on every channel last night, a festival hall, stand the man, wins by knockout. Anyway, my parents were so proud. When I started to walk out towards my car in the driveway, my mum started to follow me out. My mum's only about four foot nothing, but she's a spiritual Gestapo, you know, like always very strong with her faith. And she said to me, son, me and your father are so proud of you. Did you see your father, how proud he was? We are so proud of you, son. My mum started off really nice. But then she pointed the finger at me. She said, but don't think you're something because God giveth and God taketh away with a click of a finger. You've got no chance of my, getting carried away. My mum scared humbleness into me, I tell you. <laughs> what I like about it is so you're making waves over there and you're becoming a celebrity in your own right, but you brought it all back to Australia and to Melbourne. And yours is very much a Melbourne story, which is added, I think, to your legend here. So can I take you to 1992? Obviously, a very well-known fight, world title fight against Dennis Alexio, which is one of the most fabled events, I think, in Melbourne sporting history. It's a huge occasion, underpinned by your philosophy of, you know, if you want to be the best, then you've got to beat the best. And that was Alexio. So 55 wins, 55 uh, KOs. You don't like each other either, do you, at this point? Yeah, look, he didn't like the fact that I was challenging him. I mean, I was, I was a four-year deal, a four-year, you know, building process. I was knocking people out in America, challenging him. I would fight on undercards, you know. There were times in early part of my career I would fight on undercards for free because my theory was why should I fight in Oxnard, California in front of five, 600 people or maybe you know, down at another venue somewhere for 1,000 people when I should be on these undercards where someone like Dennis or other big names are fighting and there's five, ten thousand 10,000 people. And you so, were calling him out though too, well, weren't you? I was calling him out, but I would get on those undercards and fight for free. 
There's two occasions I fought for free. For me, my logic was I'm investing in myself. Now, you thought that was bad enough. On one occasion, I paid to fight. I mean, I called up one time. I called the promoter. I said, listen, hey, I heard they've got a big show coming up. And I said, who, who, who are you? And I said, I'm Stan, Stan Longanides. Oh, Stan, that Australian guy. Yeah, I'd love to have you. But unfortunately, the cards are already full. I said, I'll fight for free. Yeah, but we've got to pay your opponent. I said, what do you want to pay him? $1,200 Australian, American. So I paid. <laughs> You're right. No, I right. Yeah. You no. effectively paid but the other guy. But this is my point. I've done things that are, one might say is ludicrous, but... If you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to make it happen. It's funny you mention that, though, because when you did fight Dennis here, he had the movie deals, he had the big time sponsor, he had the corporate support. Yeah. You, you needed to beat him. But you ended up doing this fight for free. Well, to make to secure the fight. This fight you did for nothing. He, Las Vegas would not pay him what he wanted because they said it's absurd. He fights everybody else for this certain figure and he's demanding this to fight Stan. Obviously, he doesn't want to fight Stan. So I posed the question to my audience today. How did I lure Alexio to Melbourne? Sacrifice. You just finished hearing that there were times I fought for free in America. There was a time when I paid to fight. Now, to make that fight happen and to secure that fight, I could have very easily been a businessman, harsh, don't give a crap about the rest of the fighters, and I could have said to the promoter, listen, this is a big show, big event. Anybody that wants to fight on the undercard, they fight for nothing. I've been there. I've done that. But I didn't want to deprive any young kid that was on the undercard. I was prepared to fight for nothing because I truly believed, Sam, if you really believe you are going to win, then why not fight him? How many seconds did it take you to knock him down? Well, my coach always said, the harder we train, the easier the fight becomes. We trained real hard that fight, and that's why it lasted six seconds. Six seconds. Six seconds. The very first kick of the fight, he tried to block it, and I snapped his tibia and fibula. When he put weight on it, he collapsed under him. And the fight was over. Unfortunately, an anticlimax when you think of it, unfortunately. But having said that, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, for me, my God looked down upon me and said, listen, you sacrificed so much tonight. I'm going to make this so easy for you that it's going to be hard for many people to swallow. Richard Norton, how do you see it? I'll put you right on the spot. <laughs> I'm not going to even predict that. All I know is it's going to be a war. I mean, experience-wise, with the amount of fights Alexia has had, you've got to give him that. He's very cool. He's very strong. But this is half an hour out of Stan's life as he told me he's going to give it everything he's got. And the grass skirt stays on. And three-minute rounds, of course. Even though they fight all the time for three-minute rounds in the gym, um, it's going to be interesting. Is Stan going for those leg kicks there? Dennis covering up, though. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's happened here? I reckon he's done an Achilles. He's done his head. Dennis is down. I do not believe what I'm He's done his leg. He's done his leg. They're sending Stan over the neutral corner. Oh, he's broken. Dennis, I saw Dennis mouthing that he's broken it. He's, he feels like he's broken it. Oh, my God. What about this? We didn't just want to make him a little bit of decorum in the center ring at the moment. Oh, oh, we didn't want to see this happen. But he jumped over backwards, flat on his back at the moment. Look at Stan. I mean, how do you describe something like this? My heart goes out of the moment for Alexi. But uh, it's pandemonium centre ring here at the moment. Ladies and gentlemen, the official verdict declares that Alexio was injured during combat. The new undisputed champion of the world. Well, championship for Stan Longanides. Well. 
I mean, he's ecstatic, but I'm sure that's not the way Stan would love to have won the fight. But then again, you turn it around the other way, and who's to say the same thing good have happened to him? Um, it's definitely the sweetest victory. I know people to get their money's worth, but let me just tell you this. Um, I prepared myself in a big way for this fight, to be pre prepared focusedly, and in, in a big way I knew I was in for a war and I was prepared for 10 rounds, but let me just say a couple of things I really want to say. I couldn't have gotten here today with the people, without the people around me. I've got a great team of people, and all you people out there, hey, hey, let me tell you, let me tell you, Dennis and I will fight again because I cannot face myself in the mirror, and uh, I'm not satisfied with that. I want people out there to get their money's worth, but... This fight meant a lot to me because I dedicated it to my mother and father who I love very much. My father's here with me tonight. My mum probably, as usual, she's at home on her knees praying that I'm not getting hurt. Um, I just want to say to you, all you people out there, that I couldn't have gotten here without all your support. And it's great to see a full arena, to see Dennis Alexia and I. Dennis, I thank you very much for the opportunity. One, one last thing I want to say to all the, kick, the kickboxing critics out there that didn't believe that I could do it. They can kiss my ass and look at me now. <laughs> that says it all, Rob. Well, I always say, never argue with a man with a microphone. Rob. Now, was there some controversy in the aftermath from his camp? Yeah, of course, because Dennis Alexio, yeah. again... Embarrassed. Well, look, he's not the nicest person. You know, I went to see him after the fight in hospital. On three occasions, he cursed me out of there. He didn't, And I said, listen, I'm not happy with what happened. You shouldn't be happy. I'm not happy. The fans aren't happy. I'm only here humanely to see that you're okay. Hopefully you repair and we can do it again. Get the F out of here again. He never. Look, at the end of the day, they complained. They, they protested. They protested that, uh, uh, you know, there was something wrong with the canvas. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. You know, that's all crap because we made a $100,000 bet with them. $100,000 was exchanged in cash you know, in briefcase, in the box, in the, at the bank. So when the fight was over, they gave us the money. So there was no controversy. Controversy, But while they were in hospital for 10 days working out what they're going to do with the pins they're going to put in his leg, they thought, how are we going to go back into America, to America and face everyone? Yeah. And they came up with this thing about, you know, how they think the ring was, you know, faulty or something did like that, that. Did this anger you? Because I think in the f officially, was it deemed a no result? No. Right. Of, well, officially, one part of the sanctioning body yeah. said it was right. The other the one didn't. They, they made a fool out of themselves. Look, to be honest with you, I was hot property at the time anyway, so I, I could fight with many sanctioning bodies. It wasn't an issue for me. All you had to do was put up with punters coming to you probably for years later saying, I want to refund. Well, see, <laughs> but the Alexia, once, Ingest, he, of course. Once, he, once he repaired, Sam, he went on to have another 15, 16 fights. Why didn't he fight me? He never fought you again? Never fought me again. Mm. Never fought anyone, really, of the top level. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers at Funerals Celebrating Lives. There's more to come with Stan Longanides after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. It's a family-owned business, has been since 1934, and we're joined today by Australian kickboxing trailblazer, Stan the Man Longanides. Stan, I wanted to ask you about fighting, you know, the physical demands of fighting but also the mental demands. What goes into something like this when the consequences, obviously, of getting it wrong are obvious and painful? So when you step into the ring, what's, first and foremost, what's going through your mind? 
Oh, look, at the end of the day, you've got to know you've done the, the hard work. You know, I always say I prepared my fights for physically, mentally, and spiritually. And spiritually is the nerves, the nerves aspect. You know, at the end of the day, nerves are, are very important because I've experienced going into a fight without nerves and I've experienced going into a fight with nerves. And I'd rather be nervous mm. because nervous is precautious. You're more careful. Uh, don't get carried away. And um, humbleness is very important. For me, humility is a very important part of, uh, of the character. So... Don't get caught up with the hype, is what I say. So tactically, are you worrying about what you need to get right or are you worrying about the other guy? Well, again, it's a balance of both because you've got to have a balance of both, but you've got to know what you're good at. You've got to have conviction and belief in what you're going to execute. So, again, but it's respect because it is a combat sport and all it takes is a lapse of concentration for a second and it can turn around the fight. Anything can happen. As you've seen, six seconds is a fight that is not really much of a fight, but, again... This is the sport we're in. And um, just the other night, we saw Tim Zhu. Didn't last long, but you saw he was on the zone. He was in the zone. Mm. It was one of those things you see, and you can separate. Certain fighters have that kind of look. He's special, isn't he? Well, that, that looked like how we remember Tyson. Mm. You know, that explosive style. You know, um, definitely hungry, determined, and full of belief and conviction. So important. Did your lovely mum ever watch your fight live? Yeah. Uh, 22 years of fighting. My mother's never seen me fight live. Um, and that's why it was so important to have my parents at the uh, induction um, 2013, October 10th. Uh, I was inducted, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the first to be inducted from any martial arts fighting code. But to have my parents present there was uh, definitely a moment for me because, as I said also, and you can see this on YouTube, uh, out there somewhere there's some footage on it, but uh, it was, for me, um, my greatest moment of greatness to have my parents present. And, and again, like I elaborated, for my parents, it was, uh, you know, waiting by the phone in the middle hours of the, of the morning, you know, depending on the time change where I'm fighting around the world, my parents would be waiting by the phone with anticipation, hoping to hear that their son's okay because I'm in a sport where I'm fighting some big gorilla, you know what I mean? Yeah, so she would worry and pray for you? Yeah, definitely. Look, my mum, again, and I mentioned this and it was kind of funny with the audience at the time, but my mum used to watch my videos and then, and, you know, my sister would always tell me that she'd, she'd hear my mum pray all the time, Father God. You know, protect my son, protect my son. He's fighting some big Godzilla in Japan. But then after a while, when she started to see the videos, my mum's prayers kind of changed. And one time my sister told me that, Stan, it's funny, I walked past mum's bedroom last night and I heard mum praying, but her prayers have changed. I go, what do you mean? She goes, Father God, please, Father God, my son's fighting the gorilla. Please protect the gorilla from my son. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's great. What was what was your hardest fight? I mean, what leaves on with you? What was one that, that sticks in the mind? Yeah, One of the highlights for me, for me, my highlight was my first loss. I fought a guy that I looked up to and I admired and I thought he was the best and he was the best because when I fought him, he was world champion at that stage for some six or eight years straight. Maurice Smith, a great fight. We fought in 1990, 91 maybe, 1990, 91, uh, in Sydney, full house, big crowd, great fight. And uh, I really believe that was the best fight I've ever had despite the fact that I lost the decision. But that night I realised... I was ready for the big time. Yeah, right. You know, I was so proud of my performance, uh, despite the fact that I was getting stitched up with about 30 stitches in my left eye. My dad was holding my hand as I was lying in the change rooms and getting stitched up. But 
having said that, I even though I lost the decision, I just I was so proud. I was so proud, and knowing that I'm ready for the upper echelon. Your fame, you might not want to elaborate on this too much, and we touched on Chuck Norris and Mr. T and those guys, but when it really got going, it was big. Tell us about UFC came along. Did you, is that right? Did you get offered a spot in the first The very ever? first one they ever did, that yeah. first one that the, the Gracies won, they wanted me to be the kickboxing representative. It's kind of funny, you know, because I look back now and I think, imagine if I did that, and even if I didn't win, I would have been, you know, in the history books about that first event that took place. Do you regret not doing it? Some parts of me, because, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> I look back now and I'm still giggling because if they, <clears throat> excuse me, if they got a hold of me and they grabbed me or choked me, I'm claustrophobic to start with. <laughs> so that's not a good, it won't help the incident or the situation. But our mentality back then was, hey, they've got to catch me first. So, I'll, you know, our mentality was I'll kick him and punch him. And, you know, if I get lucky, if yeah. you get lucky, it could end right there and then. I would have been down in the history books for something big. And did you know? Else. Did you have any idea that it was going to be become as big as what it? Um, not really. Yeah. Because it looked like a circus. Yeah. Let's be honest. The very first yeah. one, you had some big, big heavy guy. It was a bit of a circus. So, who, what could you expect? I mentioned Mike Tyson earlier with Don King. Yeah. What was the context with that? Now, there was there's merit to what you're saying, whether whether it was going to happen or not, yeah. because I happened to be getting ready for a fight. Uh, in the neck of the woods where that fight took place with uh, Tyson and the guy, the first Irish guy that had come out to fight. I forget his name. But they fought in a, the Boston area. I can't remember, Massachusetts. Wherever they were, I was getting ready for a fight there. So I happened to be in town. So the media made the most of it. I took photos with Don and 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 um, with Mike. And they talked about it's a gesture, kickboxer versus boxer. It was never going to happen because I basically told him that I would knock him out within a round. And that would happen. That would be the case. A boxer versus a kickboxer, yeah. he's got no hope. It's not going to work. Not going to work. The acting, how many films? How many films have you featured in? Uh, uh, maybe you know, six different little cameos here or there, whatever, like appearances. Uh, the only one I really starred in was the local one, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, we had a lot of fun making that film, a lot of cameos <laughs> with a lot of different people. It was called Trojan Warrior. But you'll see a lot of guys in there, Dermot Brereton, Jacko, a whole <laughs> bunch of different cameos. It was a lot of fun. And it was really a lot of fun to lock down a lot of parts of the city and, and have people come. And it was just an incredible journey. So the Oscars never came calling? Well, obviously, you know, I'm not that good of an actor. <laughs> Let's be frank. <laughs> hey, hey, mate, there's nothing better than what you did in the ring. And on that note, thanks so much for joining us today, Stan. I mean, there's no better legacy than creating a path for others to follow. And in taking a risk to chase and achieve your dreams, you did that for your sport in this country. Eight world titles again, a place in the Sport Australia Hall of Fame, but also a place in the psyche of many who rode that wave with you, I reckon. And what I said was a very Melbourne story. So well done on everything you've done, you're doing, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Sam. It's been a you, pleasure. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online. They're at tobinbrothers.com.au. And we'll catch you the very next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.